0: Welcome to another episode of the Counterpunch Podcast here with another progress report from the Australian Open for you guys. Alongside Archid Suresh, I am Richard Mai. As always, we're here to break down all things AO. Archid, how you doing? I'm
1: doing great. You know, I go to sleep watching tennis and then I wake up and there's still tennis going on. So it, I mean, I quite frankly, am living the dream. Um, unfortunately, not seeing too many dreams because I haven't slept in like a week. But you know what? We take it.
0: How are you well, doing, Richard? I mean, it is the slam that screws with our sleep schedule the most, but I think, you know, all in all, we're we're pretty good here. I mean, it's it's fun tennis, and obviously when you look at some of these draws and some of the people in them, it's going to be a fun end to the second week. So let's get right into it. With the women's side, now heading into the semifinals, uh, you have Diana Yastrzemska versus Jung Chin-Wen, and you have Coco Gauff and Arena Sabalenka. Is there any match that you're particularly excited for either one of them or both?
1: Well, I excited for both, 100%, but I would be lying if I didn't say I'm not excited for a US Open final rematch at the next slam that we see the two of them compete at. So, yeah, Coco Gauff Sabolenka Sabalenka should be a really fun one. You know, Sabalenka said, you know, I'm looking forward to I've been looking forward to that match for a long time. Translation, she's out for blood. Um I think that'll be a really interesting one. Coco, I honestly, prior to last match, I would have had her as the favorite because I just thought she looked untouchable. She didn't really struggle for more than like 20 minutes in each match that she had played. I mean, some opponents were maybe pushing her to a tie break or got up a break ultimately for Coco to just win that first set and then careers through the rest of the match. But then, you know, did end up uh, going three hours with Marta Kostyuk six seven seven six two six to win that match, or I think I yeah no I said that I said that square line right sorry um, yeah ultimately getting through that match um, the forehand was a bit shaky and by a bit I mean really shaky I thought you know I think Kostyuk did a really really good job of being tactically aware in that match and really pressing Coco's forehand and just kind of peppering her her side excuse me and just making sure that coco didn't get any rhythm off the backhand side as well and really just capitalizing on that pinning her down on the forehand side attacking her from there and then ultimately coco didn't have her a or her b game but she did kind of come through just survived found a way to win ugly And sometimes that's what you need. Sometimes those are the performances that win you majors because you get through to the next round. You live to fight another day, and that's exactly what she did. So I'm excited for that. And as for Sabalenka, I mean, the tournament organizers should be thanking her for how quickly she got through uh, Barbora Barbora Kuchikova because, quite frankly, that match, if it didn't go Less than an hour and a half, then Yannick Sinner and Andre Rublev were probably going to finish at like six a.m. the next day. So <laughs> thankful for that. But um, Sabalenka, yeah, I thought she has been playing really, really well again. One of the most consistent players, or sorry, not one of. She's been the most consistent WTA player at the Slams over the past two years, and you know I just think that that often goes unsung is the fact that she I think is she eight no in quarterfinals over her la I think she's eight no in grand side quarterfinals over her last she might be eight or something like that. Um but yeah Sabalenka beating Krajikova into the semifinals don't really have a prediction for you but I'm excited for that one whichever way it goes.
0: Yeah, but something that really impressed me about Sabalenka, specifically with this run um, at the Aussie Open so far, is that she's only dropped 16 games on route to the semis. And who knows what that number is going to be at the end of the tournament. But you think to the last few, when you think about quote-unquote dominant in terms of like games and scorelines and stuff um, in terms of Grand Slam champions, right? I mean, the last time that we had such a straight, you know, minimal games dropped slam champion is I feel like it's probably Iga at the 2020 um French, where she dropped I think I'm trying to remember the number, but I think it was 20 something, 28 games uh en route to that title. Um but it's just so impressive when someone kind of cruises like that because it's so hard to keep up a very consistent level throughout the tournament. Um so I just think it's really impressive what she did.
1: Well moving on to Diana Strumska versus junction. Chen Wen into our other semifinal. Um didn't get to catch much of Zhang Chen Wen's win over Anna Kalinskaya. Um I did see Ystrzemska beating Noskova. Uh, um I thought that was a particularly clean match from her really really professional performance. Um, just played really, really well. She's two matches away from a radikanu right? Uh, first, who was the only player to win a Grand Slam from the qualifying draw, for those who don't know. But um, it'll be interesting enough to see how that one goes. You have to assume that Junction wins the heavy favorite to get to the final. Um, it would be an interesting path for her, though. First player, or I don't know about first player, but she would be the first player in a while to reach the final without playing a seed at a grand slam. Um, so you know, I wouldn't say it was the most top heavy draw, but certainly it showcased the depth. A lot of interesting matches, a lot of matches that went three sets, big upsets. So be interesting to see how that one goes and how Chin Wen you know, is able to maintain her composure through that match and hopefully can continue to really ascend to the top of the game, which, you know, making a Grand Side Final would do just that. I hand it over to you.
0: Yeah, and it's something that we've talked about throughout when you look at this top half of the draw, when Iga lost to Neskova and when you had earlier exits with um I believe Maria Sakari's in that half of the draw uh, and Rabakina, of course, it really opened up the draw. And then you got to a point where in the fourth round, you look at this list of names, Neskova, Svitolina, Azarenka, Yastremska, Paulini, Kalinska, uh, Zhang Wen, and uh, Doden. One of the, one of those women were going to become a slam finalist by the end of the week. And only Azarenka had ever reached a slam final before. Um, so I just think that, Ever since, honestly, Iga and Robachna both lost, it's been really fun to watch that part of the draw and really see where it's going to go. So, I don't know. I have high hopes, and they've delivered. I mean, all of them have played great, and obviously, I mean, you have to to get this far. Um, Stramsko versus Junction win interests me. I don't know which way it's going to go. I kind of feel like partially it's who who's playing better on that day, who's playing their game as it... T- you know as it tends to be but I don't know I really hope that whoever wins can put up a really solid fight against Coco Golf or Sabalenka whoever you know comes out of that match as well so and I'm sure and I'm sure they will I mean if they keep playing the way they have for the last week and a half um it's going to be high level tennis throughout the end of the tournament and it excites me um especially because I'm the kind of you know From a fan's perspective, I'm the kind of fan that just enjoys watching the underdog, you know, the player that, you know, has never gone that far. That's finally breaking through and getting that far and getting that opportunity. So seeing one of them is going to be really fun because it will be their first slam final. So it's going to be fun to see how they play, how they handle the pressure, all of it. It's going to be great.
1: Absolutely. And. Just so we're clear, just what even when we say they'll whoever wins that goes into the final as the underdog. Underdogs can win very easily, right? It, I mean, obviously the winner of Coco and Sabalenka will be a heavy favorite, considering both of them have won a slam in the past year. And Sabalenka, if she gets through, would be the defending champion. Coco would have won the most recent hard court major. So yes, they would absolutely be the favorite. Whoever gets through that one. But I will say there is a there is a joy to being the underdog that a lot of players play with because you can just swing freely, right? You don't have to worry about the expectations, right? Reaching a slam final in and of itself is a huge accomplishment for a lot of these players. For whoever wins this match, it's going to be their first grand slam final. So, you know, I wouldn't necessarily even be shocked if one of them manages to pull off the upset, Um I kind of am hoping for junction when to get through to the final because i want to be right
0: <laughs> quite frankly
1: um you know
0: i two weeks after you know two weeks after calling her you know our what do we say breakthrough of the year or like or big, breakout like
1: player of the year our dark yeah. horse for the australian open you can lean whatever, whatever two, way we like say. two weeks after we just said that and then we get immediate return on our on our investment yeah. you know yeah, exactly. It feels great. Uh, she's already into the top ten, by the way, which is a big achievement that's gonna go under the radar from this tournament if you know she manages to make a Grand Slam final. But um yeah, shout out to Junction Wen and shout out to us.
0: What it, what it honestly excites me with Junction Wen is that and the thing is we both know that we ha- that she has the game in the town for it. This is somebody that could genuinely, you know, be the you know, Anja Burr, Jesse Pagula type that consistently gives that top three, four consistent trouble, you know, and is always in the back of their minds, you know, they're kryptonite per se. Like we know I she mean, has I that kind of game and like I'm speaking immediate future, like long term, she could 100% be a top, top player. But I'm saying immediate future, this is a player that, you know, given form and consistently consistency, could continue to prove to be an issue for the Igas, the Sabalenkas, the Rubalcana's, the Coco Goffs of the world.
1: Yeah, and when you look at a player of her caliber, just you know the weapons that she has, the upside that those weapons give her, right? I mean, this is a player who's what she. I know she pushed uh, Shriantek to three sets at the French Open. Was that two years ago already? Um, I believe that was two years ago. She pushed Shriantek. She can. She can consistently push Iga. I know that some of the score lines in recent memory have been somewhat one sided but they've always felt a little closer than what the score line suggested and i don't know i think i just jung chien wen just she has that ability to take the racket out of your hands when things are clicking and she can overpower players from the back of the court and i i've been very very impressed with her over to sabalenka Goff, because i do want to just take a little deeper dive into that How do you see that matchup playing out? Because for me, I think just the question is, how well is Goff going to be able to disrupt what Sabalenka is able to do from a serve plus one perspective? How much is Goff going to be able to, you know, really just put that extra ball into play and make Sabalenka doubt herself, kind of like we saw at the U.S. Open? Because if I'm being honest, that match was on Sabalenka's racket and Coco just kept raising the question and at some point Sabalenka blinked and Coco just immediately took the momentum from there. I'm interested to see what's happening. I honestly I'm leaning towards Sabalenka winning this one just because I think she's got the confidence and the well she's the defending champion, right? She's proved it in Australia. I think she has just a slightly better like mental outlook after that final because I think she's really you know understood that she's not going to have she's not going to play her best every single match she plays and it's just kind of about getting through that so I'll be interested to see if you know uh Sabalenka is able to kind of withstand what Goff throws at her and vice versa it'll be interesting to see what Goff can do against Sabalenka's weapons
0: well to me, something that you brought up is what I find to be super important about this, and it is the mental side of things, right? You're looking at Arena Sabalenka, who for the last, you know, 12, 16 months has been very mentally stable and has been significantly better mentally than we've seen her to be in the past, right? But I do think it's going to come down to Coco kind of chipping away at that you know, mental stability. Because what we do know about Sabalenka for sure is that despite being, you know, much better mentally and much stronger in that department, we still see moments that if you can really crack her down and frustrate her, it could be the end of the road. Um, you And we've seen and we know what players can do that. Igo can do that. Arena Sabalenka can do that. Sorry, sorry. Elena Rabakina can do that. Um, at the U.S. Open, you saw Coco Goff take advantage of it and her do it. So it's gonna for me come down to who can really win that mental battle, and I think a huge also proponent, in my opinion, was going into the U.S. Open final last year. You got to remember what's what Sabalenka's semifinal match was like. That that tough three-setter against Maddie Keys definitely started to chip away at that confidence. Here you've got Sabalenka, like I mentioned earlier, coming in off of a off of a you know zero dropped sets. Uh, run to the semifinal only dropping 16 games. I don't know if there's any other person that is as confident men's or women's side right now than arena Sabalenka. And for good reason, for good reason, she's played great. And that confidence is going to be super hard to knock because what we do know about Sabalenka's mental stability is when she is coming in with confidence, she's riding high and she's riding that momentum and she's really good at it. So, Coco's going to need to be aggressive, go for it, play her game, and do her best to make Sabalenka play her game, meaning play Coco's game. You know, when Coco's in charge, she's great. She knows how to dictate a point, and she's great on offense. She needs to stick to those guns. She's not coming in as the favorite. So what I hope Coco doesn't do is put any extra pressure on herself. I get it. It's a slam semifinal. You have a chance to go to -to back-to-back slam finals. We get it. It's pressure. Everybody's feeling it. But like just the Billie Jean King quote, pressure is a privilege. Like you don't need, like don't worry about, you know, oh, I have to win this match or like I'm supposed to win this match. It doesn't matter. Just go for it. Because any extra mental, you know, anything that she adds on to that weighs down on her stability is going to affect her game. And it's not going to end up pretty. Coco, we've seen how Iga can dismantle Sabalenka. And I'm looking at like general game style. Take notes. Take notes. Because there's ways to do it. I'm sure that she'll be leaning on her experience from the U.S. Open. Um, But like you said, that match was in Sabalenka's hands. So it's got to be better than the U.S. Open. It's got to be better.
1: Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, yeah, you know, I uh, just another wrinkle that I think is really interesting to look at for this is I want to see how well Goff's forehand holds up yes. in those cross court exchanges because the depth and the power and the spin that Sabalenka is able to produce off of her forehand side can really overwhelm Goff, especially with that extreme grip of hers. That's kind of the game plan for Sabalenka against Fiontek, right? is Use the go forehand big into the forehand, serve well, dictate play, don't let them play on their own terms and let you move in and out of corners. You're supposed to be the one doing that, stand and deliver. And that's kind of what Sabalenka keys to success are whereas for Coco it's got to be you know defend well from the forehand be able to redirect and absorb that pace well you know push her from side to side make Sabalenka move get on the offensive again it's key that both players serve well especially with the conditions in Australia right they're both going to and you know what do we always talk about when you're facing a big server it's you got to be able to hold your own serve first because you can break serve all you want. Exactly. If you're not holding. You're not consolidating that break. So with Coco, I just think it's incredibly important that she focuses on serving well, hitting the forehand well, just being confident in that wing. She wasn't against uh, Marta Kostyuk, right? But I, again, she, we're speaking, you know, with tiny differences here. She's obviously improved that shot quite a bit, you know, ever since sort of since Brad Gilbert came along, I think she's been working on it for a longer time than that. I don't want to give all the credit to BG there. Like I do think, I do think Coco herself has worked very hard at making her forehand a real weapon and kind of shoring up the weaknesses on that side. But again, it's, it's very much the archetype of Sabalenka Shriantech. That same kind of matchup exists with Sabalenka Goff because there's, they're similar players, right? Yeah. So I'm interested to see if Coco can kind of mirror what's uh, what Shriantek does to Sabalenka in those situations. And, you know, (laughs) honestly, I really wouldn't be shocked if this or so goes either way. I'd maybe give the like slight edge to Sabalenka, maybe 55-45 Sabalenka is kind of how I see this one going. And especially in best of three, where anything can kind of happen if you lose your momentum for like four games at a time, it's probably
0: the match right so there were, yeah there were a lot of things that i was looking at specifically to at the ega daniel collins match when i watched it mistakes that collins made towards the end of the match that end of, that like second half of the third set where ega started going on a run where you really noticed where i noticed a lot of things um number 1 this is just an ega specific thing don't try to make one of the best movers on tour run for a drop shot Like it doesn't like you need a Novak Djokovic level drop shot to trick Iga. Iga moves way too well for some wimpy drop shot like she did on Match Point. Um, but these are but the reason I bring these next ones up is because these are similarities with Iga and Coco. Number one, like you said, heavy and deep to their forehand is going to be the key because, like you said, extreme grip is not going to be fun to handle such a heavy and deep ball. And get away from the backhand. They both have super solid backhands that they know how to be aggressive with really well. And they love their backhand. It's solid, it's consistent, and it's effective. So get away from it. You don't need to play into it unless you're in a solid rally where there's no offense or defense, which well, brings me yeah. to my last point. For Coco and Sabalenka, which can be crucial, which is why I think Iga has given Sabalenka trouble. You need to be super effective on the offense to defense, say from the offense defense transition, because Iga's really good at getting herself out of tight situations and you know going from the from defensive to offensive play. It's what Coco needs to polish up against the Sabalenka, being able to redirect the pace of that heavy forehand and then take the offensive.
1: Yeah. No one last ring, one last thought on the Sabalenka golf matchup. And then I promise listeners we'll move over to the men's side. Cause we do have a lot to cover over there, but I just, I think it's so fascinating that Coco, like what she's going to have to do is really get Sabalenka moving, right? Get her to don't let her get on balance, right? Move her side to side. I mean, again, Sabalenka is an incredible athlete and does a really good job of getting in and out of her corners with power and fluidity. And you wouldn't really expect that from someone of her size to be able to do that. But listen, no ifs and or buts about it. Coco's the better mover on this court. She's got to make this a game where she can get Sabalenka off balance. Can't let her, you know, step into the court and really dictate play. And then it's the exact opposite for Sabalika, right? It's how well can she dictate play? How well is she going to be able to really just pin down Coco? Honestly, I thought what was really interesting was Marta Kostyuk did this thing where she could, she kind of just, I mean, she did avoid Coco's backhand as a whole, but she, she was just giving Coco nothing balls to her forehand there's just balls into the middle of the court with nothing on them right again I think this only works when Coco's not having the best forehand day because even though it's not a it's not a great forehand she still does a really good job of finishing points with it when she's confident and stepping in but I wouldn't be shocked if Sabalenka kind of employs that kind of strategy and lets Coco beat herself but at the same time like that's Not Sabalenka's game, right? It's all about forcing the issue and making making Goff miss. So it's gonna be, I guess, I guess that's gonna be the key is how well can she attack to Coco's forehand instead of getting into trading rallies through the backhand. And how well can she make Coco defend and finish points when Coco makes her play an extra shot versus how well can Coco played that extra shot, and still beat Sabalenka because she's not going to overwhelm her from the baseline.
0: I also think Coco, and this is just an overall thing that I think has been growing with her and needs to continue to grow, is her adaptability on court. It's something that we've seen with the Iga Sabalenka and Rabakina trio. They're really good at, like, when they see something's not working, they find ways to fix it and make things better. Does it mean maybe more you know drop shot lobbing does it mean more playing up at the net does it mean changing up this or that but like being able to think on your feet and really be able to adapt mid match is going to be super helpful for coco because Sab- because sabolenka is very good at detecting patterns and playing to those patterns if she's playing to the backhand there's a reason if she's playing to the forehand there's a reason she's very good at you know determining what those patterns are and then dictating them so being in a certain sense unpredictable without giving up what your game is because we know what Coco's game is so without giving that up but like being able to adapt on the fly and make things work better for you is going to be super important but I think we've said enough on uh those matches let's head over to the men's side so where where do you want to start I'm gonna I'll let you take it from here
1: Well, on the men's side, again, there's just there's so much. There's there's, yeah, there's so much. But at the same time, I really did feel like the quarterfinal matches that we saw, it kind of just consolidated what we thought, right? But at this, at the same time, like, the 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 fourth one, no, no, not the fourth (laughs) one. But we're going in chronological order here, Richard. Uh, I will. So I will say. I think Taylor Fritz played a really, really good match against Novak. I think he was willing to mix things up, right? He was able to come to net, kind of. I mean, if Novak Djokovic is 0 for 16 on break points through two sets against you, you're doing something right. Now, does Taylor probably need to play a little better before the break points so that he's not in that situation over and over again? Yeah, probably, but at the same time you're playing the best returner the world's ever seen in Novak Djokovic so how effective is your serve going to be and you know Djokovic was just kind of able to capitalize on the fact that Taylor's not as good of a mover as he is right so, and yeah so and the way Taylor countered that was really going for it right on his ground strokes. I thought the contact points were so precise. I thought what he was able to do from the back of the court really pushed Djokovic. Obviously the heat played a factor in, you know, tiring both of those players out. Ultimately, I just think some of the backhand lines that Fritz were coming up with were phenomenal. Just his ability to really strike the ball was on display for those first two sets. And then I just think he couldn't sustain that level over the course of five sets. And that'll be the next step. Obviously he needs to continue improving as a volleyer, but overall very encouraging run from Taylor. Probably. I think the best match he's played against Djokovic in his career when I think the best match that he had won, right. Was the win against Steph in the court in the round of 16 to even get to the quarterfinals. So for a guy who struggled in the majors, I think this is a big step for him Good win for Fritz. I'm curious if you have any thoughts about Djokovic v Fritz before we move on to the um, next match.
0: To me, I think what frustrate what frustrates people about sport, and you know, obviously, we're two guys that used to play this sport competitively. Maybe not pros, but we used to play competitively. Is that you can play really, really well. It could be one of the best matches you ever played, and you can still lose. Like it's what's frustrating. And I think Taylor played. I mean. Probably like to the best of his ability on that day, and yeah. given it's where he's frustrating he is as a because player it's right Novak back, Djokovic, yes. it's Novak Djokovic, and you're not gonna, you know, you can't do too much against it. Like you said, Novak, so good on the return, so good in and out of corners. It's so frustrating to play someone that good, and so, like I said, you can play really, really well, and it still may not go your way. And Taylor played great. And it, unfortunately for him, didn't go his way. So, I think it's obviously a further proof that Novak is as great as he is. Um, I'm excited, though, because his next match, this semifinal, to me, if there is anyone that can take him down right now, I think it is this man that is coming up for him in the semifinals. Speaking of him, we'll move on to his quarterfinal. Yannick Sinner. Took down Rublev in straights four six and three. Your thoughts on what I think was just a phenomenal performance from Yannick Sinner?
1: Yeah, I, again, great performance from Yannick. Um, Rublev now zero ten at quarterfinals at slams. I hate to keep bringing that stat up because That's like so, I think bad also- I feel <laughs> yeah.
0: so bad for him. I feel so bad for
1: him. It's, it's tough because you just know that he wants it so badly and he's willing to do whatever it takes. Exactly. Nobody beats Andre Rublev 11 times in a Grand Slam quarterfinal. But, you know, I think I, the way I see it is you kind of have to look at the context of like the guys that Rublev has played, right? It's been Djokovic. It's been Nadal. It's been Tsitsipas. It's been Sinner, right? To me, the only really winnable ones were Chilich and Tiafo. Chilich at the French Open uh, 2022, um, and then Tiafo at the US Open in 2022. Again, Tiafo played lights out, so even then you're probably not even that like displeased with that loss because you know he beat Rafa Nadal, pushed Algras to a tight five setter. You give that one to Tiafo. And the Chilich one he lost in a 10 set tie lost, sorry 10 point tie break in the fifth set, right, on clay. So I don't know. I still think there's – I still think at some point Rublev will get over the hill of winning a quarterfinal. I think it's it's just bound to happen at some point. Um, but at the same time, he just – Rublev is the ultimate gatekeeper, right? If you are elite, you are going to beat him in a quarterfinal. If you're not elite, you're not going to beat Andre Rublev in a Grand Slam, Right. Demonar played him tight, right? He played him tough. It's a it's a big win for Rublev to even beat Demonar in his home country at that slam, right? Get to the quarterfinals. He's not going to be pleased with this result. I'm not super surprised, but again, we, we mentioned this. Rublev is the ultimate gatekeeper. is of the elite of the elite because he just beat him in three pretty reliable sets. Right, I got down 5-1 in that second set tiebreak and then rattled off six straight points to win that match. Or, sorry, win that tiebreak, but you didn't necessarily feel like it was kind of the nail in the coffin for that match. But, yeah, I mean, the level we've seen from Sinner is just real, right? Like, he's consolidated that form over the past, over the last two, three months of the tour from last year, and he's brought it to this match. He is probably Novak's biggest threat, right? Left in the tournament. Um, we'll get to the other contenders later, but at the moment, it does feel like if Sinner can, if Sinner is going to be able to do it, it's got to be sometime soon, right? But at the same time, again, we saw him do it in best of three. This is best of five, and even more so, it's best of five against Novak in Australia A tournament. He's won ten times. This is his best slam. I do kind of think that it's going to be a really, really tight battle, but ultimately I just can't bet against Djokovic and his experience and his belief in those moments that he's just going to be able to peak at the right moment and win when he has to. So I'm going to lean I'm going to give you my unsolicited prediction here, but I'm going to leave Novak in five over Sinner. But I do I do think yeah. this is a match that Sinner has to lose before he can win it one day. And the other matches against Novak have been competitive in slams, but not really, right? Like he got up two sets to love at Wimbledon one year, but the next three weren't close. And then the next year loses in straights to Novak at Wimbledon. I think this is the year where, where Sinner like, again, continues his ascent and he levels up and really pushes Novak. But I do ultimately think Novak gets through again.
0: I mean, the thing is that you have a great point. You, it, it's exactly what happened with Carlos Alcaraz, right? they, even though it wasn't as many meetings, I'm pretty sure before Alcaraz finally beat him, you did see that ascension where from the first time that they met to the last time that they met before Alcaraz finally got him, there was a big like, you know, growth from Alcaraz's side, an ascension to a higher level, like you mentioned. And I don't know, I, I get what you're saying. Um, the the fan in me unsolicited fan opinion. I would love to see sinner walk away with this one um, because I'm so tired of the regular smagular Novak wins. Let's move to France. Oh, Novak wins. Let's move to London. Oh, Novak wins. Let's go to New York. And the same thing happens again and again and again. I'm tired. Okay. <laughs> the thing is, we're, I respect that. We're, 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 we're getting up there and like, we've, you know, we're we're 20 and 19 and for the majority of our life watching this sport, it has been a Novak, it has been the Novak Djokovic show. Like, it's just especially the last few years. And the thing is that the fact I'd like to just also point out the fact that I just said what I just said is of the utmost compliment to Novak Djokovic. Because if someone is annoyed and tired of you winning, it is because you are too good and you win too much. That's the truth. And, you know, I think here's the thing. There is no denying how great Novak is, but I agree with you. In a realistic sense, if we're talking about a prediction prediction, I think Novak in five as well. I fully agree. I think Yannick takes the first one. Novak, it's going to be like a back and forth battle, hopefully. Hopefully they're also both in good health and we can actually get to see a real, you know, full on match because I think that's going to be a great match. Um, I would love to see Sinner, you know, get it. We know he can do it in best of three matches. Um, Yet to see it in the best of five. And I think, like you said, if he can push Novak to five at the very least, this will be a great motivator for him to know, like, yeah, I can get there. You know, like, I can do it. It takes that little bit more, and I can get there. And I, I will say, I was looking through... Rublev's last 10 quarterfinals And of the 10 Only 3 of those Only 3 of the players he lost to Lost in the semifinals The rest of the 7 All were in the finals or won yeah. It is he, he is the gatekeeper And I think you know Like you said this is a very good Test and proof For you know For Sinner that He is that good and when you look at the guys that he's lost to in a slam quarterfinal, I believe the only one of them to have not won a slam is Francis Tiafo. All of the others that he's lost to are slam champs. Well, Sorry, I, I think he's. City I think pass. he lost to City Pass. Yeah, City Pass. But you look at Marin Chilich, Rafa Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Daniel Medvedev. Has he lost to Alcaraz in a quarterfinal? No, I don't believe so. Don't Even think think if he had, Alcaraz is also a slam is a slam winner. So like, yeah. you're looking at very top tier guys so hopefully and and even and even so like 60 pots is a guy
1: who's made a slam final right
0: on multiple occasions so i sure hope that this is just further good proof for sinner and obviously we cannot ignore the fact this in and of itself is very impressive that sinner is doing this at what 19 20 i think he's 21 21 yeah still disgusting we're in. You and I are in college classrooms, and he's about to play the semifinals of the Australian Open. It's so so impressive. Um, but yeah, I I hope Sinner and Novak give us a very good show. Yeah, because I'm sure they will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think everyone's kind of got their hopes pinned to that match as being another classic, kind of like we saw at the ATP finals last year Davis cup, right? I mean, Sinner beat this guy twice in a month. Yeah. Right? It doesn't happen very often.
0: And so, but it's, it's proof like, that we know he can play at that level. I just think that the he big can, question he absolutely that we're always can. going to have is when it comes to a best of five, you're talking about a guy that's made that Novak's made what 48, 50 something quarterfinals. Like, is it 48? Like I think it's 58. i'm not sure i don't i know i know the stat you're referring to but but i don't remember that many quarterfinals and he does have 23 slams you know that this guy has so much experience in huh is it 23 it might be 24 i'm i'm so lost i thought it was 23 here's again we've lost count
1: we've lost count
0: we've we continue we continue to lose count
1: um you know what? No worries. Continue. Novak Djokovic is really good at tennis. Point made.
0: But the point being, for a guy that's gone this deep in Grand Slams so many times, the one he's thing won twenty four. Can... By the way, is it twenty four? He's twenty four because I... I remember seeing a fan. Oh, was it the U.S.? He... Was it
1: last yeah, year's he, U.S.? He won. He won yeah. twenty four at the U.S. But I remember that's a fan asking him if he had his twenty five jacket
0: printed out yet. So that's right. Um. But uh, point. That's right because he tied Margaret Court. But point being, with a guy that's you know gone this far in ter- in Slam so many times, you know he's got experience and he knows what it takes to go all five sets. He's played some of the like you know most legendary matches in history. I always think back, like especially specifically at the Australian Open, to that God knows how long match against Rafa in the finals where they need to where they needed to bring them chairs for the trophy ceremony. Um. This guy knows how to go the distance, and so this is really, if anything, going to be an endurance test for Yannick. How long can he go while maintaining a high level? We know yeah. he has the level to beat Novak because we've seen it in a best of three. But can he? But the question is, can he continue that level across five sets?
1: Yeah. No, I I still think there are questions physically and game wise for Sinner against Djokovic over best of five because. Again, a he's got to prove that he can hang with Novak over the over the span of a best of five match in a Grand Slam semifinal, right? Because. Again, Sinner has struggled with fitness throughout his career, right? It seems like his his body's sort of finally catching up to the level of play that he can produce, right? So now he's kind of been able to stay fit and get through these matches. But again, there have always kind of been lingering injuries and doubts with Sinner. So it'll be interesting to see if he can really kind of maximize that, stay healthy, stay fit through this best of five match, right? If he can get through that part, the other barrier is can he Beat Novak. If if it like I'm telling you right now, if it's the fifth set and it's four all, Sinner's about to serve, I'm telling you Novak I know Novak is going to bring his best level at that moment, right? I haven't seen it yet from Sinner, right? And I'm not saying whether he can or can't. I do think he can and I think ultimately he will one day do that and be capable of winning a slam cuz I that's what I think he's going to do with his career, right? But he's got to be able to prove it, right? And first of all, what better way to do it than by beating Novak in Australia? Go out there and say, I'm the guy, right? Like, I can do this. Like, yeah, Alcaraz beat you in a slam final. I can beat you at a slam too. Like, I am that good. I am that level of player. I've proven it. I've done everything but take this step. So I'm going to do it in front of the world's eyes, right? And I'm going to do it so everyone can see how good of a player I am. On the other hand, it's Novak Djokovic at best of five. And I'm just not betting against him. So it's hard to. It's so
0: difficult to bet against him.
1: Yeah. Why don't we move on to our other quarterfinals and set up our men's semifinal before we have to head out of here? I thought Hubi Herkach played a great match against Daniel Medvedev earlier. Um, Oh, get me started. All right. (laughs) Really, really. Competitive match from first point to last. I thought there were so many interesting tactics that were on display, right? Medvedev changing up his court positioning on the return, Hercatch coming up to net a lot more, just really, you know, just finding ways to dictate play. At one point, it looked like Medvedev was going to get through this and four it gets up a break. I think he was 4 3 serving in the fourth set up a break two service holds away from winning this match. And then her couch comes roaring back, gets it to a fifth set. Daniil looked dead to rights in that fifth set, honestly, because he just it really looked like he was struggling physically and just, he found a way, right? Medvedev just leveled up near the end, just hung tough, got a second wind and just, he battled through it. Very, very promising performance for her catch, but it's Medvedev who comes through and, you know, I, I, just got to keep giving that guy credit, right? He does what he's supposed to do. He, he, I think he's reached the semifinals of the Australian Open for at least, I think, for the third time in four years.
0: So yeah, we, yeah the only loss so. coming
1: to last year against Corda, 2021-2022, he was a back-to-back finalist, lost to Djokovic and Nadal, loses to Corda into a semifinal here against Verev. We'll see how he can go from there, but I want to get your thoughts first on Hrkacz Medvedev.
0: Right, so yeah, um, no, I think we talked about how Sinner taking Novak to five would kind of be a litmus test for him, you know, reaching that level. I see a similarity with Hubie doing this to Medvedev at a slam. They've only met in a slam once, and it was Wimbledon three years, yeah, three years ago when Hubie made that insane run beating Roger and making the semifinals. That one went to five, but I think this is like, because Hubie's form, as we all know, has been kind of up and down for the last three years. He's got his on days, got his off days, but I think this is further proof to himself of how good he is. Um, Hubie is, I think was difficult for Medvedev when you're going into this matchup, when you're preparing to play Hubie Hercatch. Her catch is one of the best servers on the tour. has the highest ace, uh, has the highest a, uh, ace production rate per match, and just overall a very consistent and strong serve. It is so difficult to play him, and so it's about breaking and then converting, like we talk about with big servers. And I think who be coming in um, with a three-two in favor of him head to head. Helps a lot with the confidence. Obviously, now it's three to three, so we'll see where it goes next time. But no, I think I want I, I you know, with all biases aside, I do want to shine a light on Hubi because I think this has been a very solid result for him. This is his deepest run in a um in an Australian Open and his second deepest run in a slam in his career. So I think it's super important to remember that this dude. Can be a pain when he needs to be. He's 26, so he's in that like sitsy pass kind of like middle. Yeah, he's, ne- of, like, he's of that generation. Like, right? he's not, He it's, it's weird because he's like, he's not the Dominic Teams, Varev, Medvedev group, but he's not the Alcaraz, Sinner, and them group. He's kind of like that well, middle point. Yeah. Well, I mean, Team is, but, first of all, considerably older than Medvedev or
1: Zverev. Like, he's 30, and Medvedev, I think Medvedev's 27. And
0: he's it slightly other old. than Zverev. Uh, yeah, you're right. But again, um,
1: semantics, we're, yeah. we're worrying about the wrong things here.
0: But like, this is a guy that I feel really bad because he's such a good player. And I fear that he will retire without a single slam. But if it wasn't for certain players, which is, you know, really cheap to say, but like, he could be a Slam champion in another universe where there isn't such pushback um
1: yeah i mean that's fair but at the same time there's you can say that, be you can say that
0: about a lot of people you can say that a lot, and again, about a lot like, of people. Yeah. but point uh point being um i love who he's great um i love watching him on and off court um he's really good at just putting his head like when he goes down he's just really good at putting his head down and moving forward um super like calm on court presence which is you know at times pretty interesting and fun to watch um but all credit to medvedev because it 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 takes it takes a lot to get through all these matches and um i think for hubi to push someone as good as medvedev to five is a good you know what's 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 the world word um it's just a good sign for him overall and for his future and I'm excited. I'm interested to see how he plays moving forward from this, and I'm excited to see how Medvedev plays in his next match. I think his level's been great, but so has Sasha Zverev's.
1: Yeah, well, we'll get to that one right now. Sasha Zverev beating Carlos Alcaraz in four sets. I mean, off court issues aside, right? This is uh, this is what Let's just Zverev say. What does. it is? Let's just say what it is. It's he's playing great it's yeah i mean he's, he's playing great tennis but there's so many so many things that are taking away from take, the moment. are taking away from the fact are that taking away from the moment well well not even so the moment it's just taking away from the fact that very is such a great tennis player when he's on it is a shame that there is so many you know issues surrounding him off the court right We're currently awaiting trial for a criminal offense in berlin it's again it, it's a tough situation for a lot of fans organizers who watch this match and want to appreciate the level of tennis when this is the cloud that's kind of hanging over everybody's head but we'll focus on the tennis for now I, incredible level from zero the
0: first two sets right um this, and is, this is genuinely a, like, finalist, like, worthy Zverev. Like, this is a guy that, like, when you look at the way he's been playing, this is, like, high, high caliber. His serve has been working. Yeah. His, his ground trucks have been working. His movement has been working. Everything has been working in his favor. Yeah. Like, you can't yeah. deny, like, how good the guy's been. Like it's yeah.
1: and, and to me, this felt a lot like the 2022 Roland Garros quarterfinal. Yeah. Where you know, same matchup, Zverev comes out probably playing the best tennis we can see him play, right? Serving absolute bombs, returning really well just all over Alcaraz, and Alcaraz kind of just doesn't show up for two sets, right? And then all of a sudden Zverev gets a little tight when he's trying to close the match out, kind of like we're used to him see. like, at one point, I'll be honest, listeners, I fell asleep after the first set of this match. Okay. <laughs> I woke up, saw the score at after the second set, saw that Zver was two sets up and said, I'll wake up when he's serving for the match because I know something's gonna happen. Yeah. I woke up again. Zverev was two points away from closing this out in straight sets at 5 2 30 all on Alcaraz's serve. Then he was two points away on his own serve, gets broken. Alcaraz comes roaring back. Play start he suddenly wakes up, play looks like all the momentum's on his side plays no f- plays a phenomenal tie break like high really really high level from alcaraz there and it looks like he's got all the momentum going into the fourth set and at one point we're thinking oh my god this is going five we're gonna have to delay this recording because i was texting you i was saying listen we'll record yeah. this rare of alcaraz pod afterwards and just add it onto this pod and, and then hold- the, and then the fourth set happened
0: and then and, the fourth set happened
1: yeah and what happened alcaraz played a pretty crappy game at 4-all when it looked like all the momentum was on his side. And this has kind of been a pattern with Alcaraz's losses at slams, right? You look at the loss to Sinner at Wimbledon two years ago, kind of doesn't show up for two sets, comes back for a huge third-set comeback, and then just slightly drops off in the fourth set, and it's too little too late because he just didn't show up for the first two sets. Same thing happened against Verevin that Roland Garros quarterfinal and same thing happening as, well, similar things happened against Medvedev at last year's US Open semifinal, because I I do think Medvedev just played a phenomenal level that day. But this is kind of a recurring pattern that we're seeing in Alcaraz's slam losses, where if he's not sharp through the course of five sets, I think he's still got a ways to go in terms of finding his best level and navigating how best of five works in that way. Because again, Alcaraz has never come back from five two sets down in his career, right? There's only one time Zverev's loss from two sets up. And that was the U.S. Open final and the biggest match of his life. Right. Against Dominic team. I was so, about to bring it up. I was about to bring it up. I quite frankly, I thought it was going to happen. I thought Alcaraz was going to come back. I really did. After that third set, I was like, yeah, I, I just I feel like Alcaraz has what it takes to win this match. Again, <laughs> It's not a huge deal in terms of his long-term outlook, really. I think this is, again, just still growing pains for him. He's still only 20 years old. He's won two slams already, right? Let's like, it's, calm down. He can lose a quarterfinal against the number six ranked player in the world. Um, certainly someone who we know is can play the level of tennis that Zverev can. Yeah, I don't really have that much more to add. I thought Zverev played a really, really high level, managed to scrap it out at the end despite getting tight in the third set, and now he's into another semifinal at a slam against Neil Medvedev, and we all know those matchups probably last a long time, so get ready for a six-hour classic, I guess.
0: We know that match is going to go long, but to me, there's one thing that you that you touched on that that needs to be highlighted and needs to be... Sasha's, you know, one of the things that Sasha has to work on, not only for the near future, because A, he's definitely gonna need against Medvedev, and he can and if he can get past Zanil, oh, he's definitely gonna need this against a Novak or a center. Um, and he'll need it for the rest of his career because right now he doesn't have it, in my opinion. Yeah, it's called the ability to close a match. For the love of God. Like it's, okay. it's been the question for his entire career, right? Like when he wins, when he wins these matches against big against top guys, nine times out of ten, it's because of what you said. He just gets scrappy at the end. And you put and you scround it together and you put it together. And like then you have those one offs where he plays really, really well throughout, and it is like a really great win. But nine times out of ten, it is an issue of closing a match. Come. On you go up and then like the moment gets to you and then you get you put pressure on yourself and then you can't play like just clear your head and keep going because if if you've gotten two sets already against Carlos Alcaraz who's been playing really well. What's stopping you from just aiming to continue that in a third?
1: Yeah. And credit to Zverev because every match that he plays kind of does end up on his racket. It always just ends up being yeah. can Zverev got this out, right? He comes like, out of he, he comes is, out blazing. Like yeah, and he and he turns, but he also just turns every match into a physical battle and yeah. he's just gonna try and outlast you, or he's gonna just he's gonna every match he's gonna try and scrape by. And the problem is that doesn't work against guys like Novak Djokovic, right? When Medvedev is playing his best, it doesn't work against him. Even when Alcaraz is playing his best, it doesn't work against him, right? And to me, that is always the question. And that's why I've never really believed in Zverev's true ability to kind of win slams. I, I did at one point. But to me, this has been a recurring pattern over the past, what, five years, right? Zverev just can't close out big matches. And in the in the biggest moments, he does get tight, right? When it's when he when things look good, things look really good and Zverev looks like the best player in the world. at four or all 30 40 and you watch his second serve and you and he looks like he's not even in the top 20 because he just he leaves the ball short on his forehand he gets a little tentative on the second serve. he starts you know trying to counter punch his way through the match and again, the show is called the counter punch. We appreciate counter punching, right not in the biggest moments. Is the thing. And just ultimately, I just don't think that level is good enough to win you a slam. I do think it's good enough to get you to the latter stages of slams, especially when you beat the players you're supposed to beat and just continue to battle. I'll be interested to see how the Medvedev-Zverev match goes, because that's usually always a war of attrition right? And whoever kind of wins that one. But at the same time, both these players are coming off of really physical runs this tournament. Medvedev's had some late finishes, goes five with her catch now. It'll be tough for him to really kind of out-gut Zverev. And Zverev's played a couple five-setters, played two fifth-set tie breaks against Nori, and um, I'm blanking on the South African's name that he played. Apologies. Was it South African? No, it was Klein yeah it was lucas klein that's what it was yeah lucas klein um sorry about that um plays a fifth set tie break there tight match against alcaraz i don't know how that war of attrition is going to look if that goes to a fifth set because it might just be whoever passes out on court first but yeah I, again credit to Vera for a win today um impressive performance really like he did what he was supposed to do. Alcaraz didn't. And that's kind of the story of the match. Um, as for that, I mean, we've got two really interesting semifinals set up. Um, honestly, any combination in the final, I'm probably down for.
0: Um, but yeah, Let, let's book things with your final, with your final predictions. We'll start with the men's side. Is it another Novak versus Matty? Seems to be. Seems to be. I I personally would like to see Sinner Medvedev. Um, realistically, I think it could be either because Zverev is playing at a level that could take down Medvedev, but Medvedev, that's the thing. And like where physically... where Medvedev edges for me is that I think he's better in a five in like a full five setter, and I also I think agree. that he's in terms of consistent level. Consistent I agree. Level With Zverev, it kind team. of oh. Also-
1: Excuse me, sorry, hit the mic. But Zverev kind of going up and down yeah. in those moments. Medvedev kind of flatlines and he just he gets his way through those matches. He's more mentally composed in best exactly. of 5. But at the same time, physically he hasn't it's been tough, right? Like he's really got to trust his legs. Like it's going to be a lot. I, if whoever gets to the final on that side, I don't know if they're going to have any legs left, right? And then at the same time you look at Djokovic, Sinner and you're like oh my God, this match has the potential to be so, so good. And then you're like, whoever wins that has to win another match to win the final. Like that's ridiculous. Like if I'm Yannick Sinner and I say, okay, so if I play the match of my life and beat Novak Djokovic, there's still a chance I end up with the runners up trophy in this tournament. Right. I would be very upset (laughs) if I'm him, first of all, but again, task at hand, you know, after all I've said, I kind of want to pick Sinner against Djokovic. I'm not going to. I'm going to go Djokovic against Sinner, head over heart there. Um, and I'm going to go Medvedev over Zverev because even though I think Zverev is kind of, good, I think Zverev might play better, and I think he even may be able to outlast Medvedev.
0: Can I say it in a, in, a, in a best of three format as they're playing right now? Zverev wins. It's the no. five. It's the five yeah. setter. That, well, that, even in tricks, me. yeah, even
1: in the five, I'm not even worried about the five set. It's more so just the moment, right? It's a grand slam semifinal in the biggest moments. I trust Daniel Medvedev more than I trust Sasha Zverev. I'm going to go Djokovic Medvedev in the final and I'll say Djokovic wins.
0: Yeah, I, I would love to see. Listen, I would love this week to end with Yannick Center raising an, an Aussie open trophy over his head. I would too. And I think well, a lot of people would. But listen, realistically, it's Novak over Medvedev in the final to me. And um I think I, I think it'll be nice to have someone that is not as controversial as Margaret Court at the top of the at the top of the of the slam count. But you know, that's beside the point.
1: Yeah. Um, not to mention the fact that if Sasha Zverev wins a grand slam. I, there'll be some controversy. I'm oh, telling you that. Oh boy. But you know what? Um, if that happens, we'll cover it with the integrity that we will. So
0: women's final. Let's hear it. I yeah, personally, I would like to see um one of the ladies in the top half lift the trophy, and it's not outside of the realm of possibility. Now I'm gonna speak on what is realistic. Sabalenka over Jung Chin Wen. I hate right. to be regular, schmegular and you know, yeah. like pick and pick the quote-unquote obvious choices. But there is a reason why they are the favorites. You yeah. know, they are listen, as good as yeah. they are. And I, I listen. My ideal final. I would love to see. I think I said earlier. I would love to see Jung Wen versus Coco Goff because I think that match would just be really fun to watch and really fascinating. But. Not to say that's not possible. I just think the most probable is Sabalenka over Zhang Chen Wen. Yeah.
1: I, listen, I made the case for Arena Sabalenka winning the <laughs> semifinal. I said that, you know, I think Sabalenka the slight favorite. Are you gonna think trust Google her golf? in the biggest moments. Do it. You know, I don't want there to be any doubt of what I think arena Sabalenka is capable of. I still Do think it. she's the favorite in this match for the sake of the argument. <laughs> I'm going to go with Coco Goff over Sabalenka and I'm going to go with Coco Goff Coco over
0: junction. When in the final, I hate to say it, but I think just like just generally whoever wins the Sabalenka versus Coco Goff match um, will likely win the whole thing. Um, but at not the same to, time, like, I wouldn't really be that shocked true. if someone from the top comes through. It, it's not shock. It's just the thing is, I think, and again, we mention this all the time. It is the beauty of the volatility of the women's tour is that at any given moment, somebody can come through and just do a madness. Like, you said it yourself. Diana Yastremska is two matches away from an from an, from an Emma Redekanu. And when you look at the last few years of slam winners, there's no quote-unquote, dominance. If anything, I would say Iga at the French Open. It's like her backyard, but that's besides the point. Or Naomi Osaka on a hard court. But I think there's a certain beauty to me about the women's tour and the unpredictability that it brings because it's always going to be in, you know, um, entertaining and, and interesting. You look at the men's... You know, quarterfinal, semifinal draw, all seeds, all top guys, all guys that if we were, you know, two weeks ago when we were looking at this draw, could have probably said, yeah, these are the guys that we're going to have left come the the quarterfinals. With the women's side, I bet you, like, most of these names were not on your radar to go as far as they did. But it's great that they did because it offers so much entertainment value. Arjun, any closing remarks?
1: No, nothing for me. Be sure to follow all Cracked Racket socials, everything that we're doing on the YouTube side of things. Great shot pod, mini break, cracked interviews, plenty of content coming your way. Lots of college broadcasts coming your way. ITA kickoff weekend this weekend. Be sure to tune into all our broadcasts on ESPN plus or on the YouTube channel.
0: Other than that, nothing for me. So let's close this thing. You've covered it great for me. I don't have to worry about the plug. All right. That's all the time we have on this week's episode of the Counterpunch Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll be back very soon. Goodbye.